Lord God, we love you. We worship you this morning. We bring you praise. We also thank you, Lord God, that you speak to us. You speak to us prophetically. You speak in pictures and in dreams. And, and you speak to us clearly through your word in the Bible. We thank you so much for the Bible, Lord God. And we thank you for the Gospels, for Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that describe the life of Jesus Christ. And as we read from Matthew's Gospel this morning, I pray you would speak to us. Would you grant us wisdom and understanding so that we might understand what you are saying in your word? And Lord, I pray you would grant us wisdom to apply what we learn to our lives, that we might grow in Christ-likeness this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're working through Matthew's Gospel together as a church. You can listen to the previous sermons online. And last week we read from Matthew chapter 4. And at the end of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is drawing huge crowds. People from Galilee, from Jerusalem, from beyond the Jordan are bringing the sick to Jesus. And Jesus, in his great power and might is mighty to heal all who are brought to him. So Jesus is, is doing these great healings. He's healing everyone who's brought to him. And so he's attracting more and more people. And as he draws this crowd, Jesus in Matthew chapter five goes up to a mountainside. He sits down and he preaches the greatest sermon ever preached. The sermon on the mount and over the next seven or eight weeks as a church we're going to unpack Jesus's sermon on the mount this fantastic sermon this glorious truth that Jesus truly is revealed as the great teacher as he preaches this sermon and I'm so excited as a church to unpack the sermon on the mount together I hope it has a profound impact on your relationship with God and the way you live your life because it should. It's a challenging sermon. It's a hard hitting sermon. It should change the way we live dramatically. And I hope it will over the next few weeks. Now, this morning, we're going to read the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter five and the introduction to Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And my sermon is entitled The Secret to Happiness. The Secret to Happiness. I hope by the time I finish this morning, you'll understand why I've chosen that sermon title, The Secret to Happiness. I hope that's got you intrigued. This is a sermon to listen to. Jesus is going to reveal to us in the Sermon on the Mount, The Secret to Happiness. Shall we read it together? Um, if you've got a Bible at home, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And if you haven't got a Bible to hand, uh, don't worry because the words will appear on the screen. We're going to read together Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. This is the word of God. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in, in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount with this glorious, wonderful opening all about the kingdom of heaven. The opening 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5 are all about the kingdom of heaven. You can see this. If you look at verse 3, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then if you have a look at verse 10, it says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the structure of verse 3 through to verse 10, these eight blessings that Jesus speak start and end with a reference to the kingdom of heaven. And the implication of that is that verses four to nine, all that comes between verse and three to ten, those verses are all about what the kingdom of heaven is like as well. Even in verse 12, it says this, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. As Jesus opens the greatest sermon ever preached, he's preaching about the kingdom of heaven. And specifically, he's revealing two things about the kingdom of heaven. The first thing he's revealing is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what we're going to focus on this week. What is the kingdom of heaven like in Matthew 5 verses 1 to 12? The second thing that Jesus speaks about in this sermon is what type of people receive the kingdom of heaven? Now, when I originally wrote this sermon, I was ambitiously going to try and do both those things in one sermon, but I've decided over the course of this week to split it into two. So this week I'm going to talk about what is the kingdom of like, uh, what is the kingdom of heaven like according to Matthew 5 verses 1 to 12. And then next week we're going to do part two of the sermon. I'm going to talk about what type of people receive or inherit or enter into the kingdom of heaven. My main point this morning. So what is the kingdom of heaven like? That's the question we're trying to answer as you read these verses in Matthew 5. And my main point this morning is this. I would say it's Jesus's main point in the Beatitudes in those verses that I've read to you. The main point is this. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of happiness. Now, you might look at those verses in Matthew 5 and think, Duncan, what are you talking about? Where are you getting that from? How, why are you to, I can't, I don't even see the word happiness in Matthew chapter five. Why are you making this sermon all about happiness? Why do you think Jesus is making this point that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of happiness? Where are you getting that from? Well, it's all in one word. And it's the word blessed. Now, Jesus repeats that word nine times. 
in Matthew um, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, he says the word blessed nine times. And, you know, he didn't have to. He could have just said, um, blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn and those the meek, and the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the merciful and the pure in heart and the peacemakers and for those who are persecuted. They're all blessed. So he could have said blessed just once or maybe twice, but instead he chooses to repeat this word over and over again. Blessed is, blessed is, blessed are. And the Greek word he's using is the word makarios. I read Greek, I don't speak it, so forgive me for my poor pronunciation. Um, the Greek word there is makarios. You know, blessed is one of those Christian words that we use all the time. It's part of our Christian jargon. But to be honest, I'm, I don't think, I think most of us don't really know what blessed means. I wonder if you were to have a think this morning, what does the word blessed mean? So I, I went on dictionary.com to look up the meaning of the word blessed. And um, as you can see on the screen, dictionary.com gave me six definitions for the word blessed. And the first definition was consecrated or holy. And I think most people, when they hear the word blessed, that's what they think of. They think of being consecrated. They think of being made holy by God. Blessed, blessed is a holy word. It's a Christian word. It's about holiness. But makarios in Matthew 5 does not mean that. Jesus is not speaking about holiness when he uses the word blessed in Matthew chapter 5. The, the second definition on dictionary.com is worthy of adoration and worship. Now, Jesus definitely doesn't mean that in these Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. He's not saying the poor in spirit are worthy of adoration. No, we, we use blessed in that sense to talk of God, the blessed Trinity. So Jesus doesn't mean holy. He doesn't mean worthy of adoration. The third definition of blessed is divinely or supremely favoured. And Macarius definitely does have some of that meaning in it. When we're talking about being blessed in Matthew 5, we're talking about receiving the favour of God. However, of all those definitions, definition 4 is the one that's closest to the Greek word that Matthew uses in these verses. And that definition says, blissfully happy. You know, when the King James Version of the Bible was written and, and translated um, in the 17th century from Greek into English, the word blessed in the English language was very closely associated with happiness. When, when you said the word blessed, you really were talking about being blissfully happy in the favour of God. And so, and so when we read the word blessed here in Matthew chapter 5, we need to associate with blessed happiness. These verses about, are about being blissfully happy in Matthew chapter 5. And so this makes these verses very, very exciting. In the first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is revealing the secret to blissful 
happiness. You know, just 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 put that um, trans translation, put that definition into the verses. Blissfully happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blissfully happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's an odd one. We'll talk about that in a second. Blissfully happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blissfully happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blissfully happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blissfully happy are the pure in hearts, for they shall see God. Blissfully happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blissfully happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus opens up the greatest sermon ever preached, speaking about blissful happiness. Now, I know some of you will be a little sceptical because you've, you've grown up with these verses where, where Matthew uses the word blessed. And you've learnt, you've probably, some of you will have learnt them off by heart. And so I want to do my very best to show you that this isn't something that I'm making up. But this is something that scholars and preachers have said for many hundreds of years that when Jesus talks about the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about happiness. So the first example I've got is... Um, this. This is uh, the commentary that I'm primarily using for this sermon series in, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's written by a man called um, R.T. France. And R.T. France, when he translates this passage, so he writes his own translation of the passages from the Greek, he uses the word happy. And, and R.T. France says this, no English word fully captures the sense of Makarios, but I have chosen happy as the least inadequate option in current English. R.T. France doesn't think happy is a perfect translation, but he does think it's the closest possible word we have in the English language to describe what Jesus is talking about. Let me give you another example. This book is uh, written by a man called Randy Alcon. It's called Happiness. It's a fantastic book because it talks about all the way the Bible encourages Christians to rejoice and to be happy and to celebrate. And oh, it just fills, you, fills me with joy reading this book. I'd thoroughly recommend it. He's written this whole book basically saying instead of blessed, Makarios should be translated as happy. I've already mentioned how in 1611, when the King James Version um, used the word blessed in Matthew 5, the word blessed really did mean happy. In the, in the Webster's Dictionary from 1828, if you look up the word blessed, it says the first definition for the word blessed in the 19th century in 1828 is made happy. So over the years, blessed used to mean happy. And now over time, it's kind of changed its definition. So in the English language, when we say blessed, we don't often think about happiness. But it's definitely what Jesus was talking about when he started this sermon. There are linguistic scholars who um, approve of this definition as well. Friedrich Halk says um, that blessed refers overwhelmingly to distinctive religious joy. William Hendrickson says Makarios um, should be defined like this, happy in the most exalted sense of the term. Um, Warren Verbs says, uh, defines, defines um, Makarios as divine joy and perfect happiness. Preachers, new and old, have spoken of happiness in reference to Matthew 5 verses 3 to 12. Um, G. Campbell Morgan, who was the predecessor to Martin Lloyd-Jones, the preacher in Westminster Chapel, he wrote this, I wish we were brave enough to write happy in our Bibles instead of blessed, for that is the right translation. John Piper says Makarios means happy, joyful, satisfied. John MacArthur, Ellicott, 
uh, Matthew Henry, Matthew Paul, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Thomas Brooks, and many, many others all write about this word makarios and say it definitely includes happiness. Be in no doubt when Jesus sits down on that mountainside and opens his mouth to preach the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon in history, he is speaking of a life of happiness. In fact, what Jesus is doing as he sits and teaches is he's calling Christians into the kingdom of heaven to know the blissful happiness which he himself enjoys. He's revealing the kingdom of heaven to be a kingdom of happiness. He's revealing, Jesus Christ is revealing himself to be the king of happiness. The Christian life could be called the happy life. Now I need to clarify that when I say that. Because there are two reasons why um, modern day scholars don't write happy in our English Bibles. Two reasons why to just write happy wouldn't be a perfect translation. And the first reason why happy isn't a perfect translation is this. When we think of happiness, we think of something fleeting and superficial. You know, we think of moments of happiness caused by external factors. So when Tottenham win a football match, that makes me happy briefly for a moment. There's a moment of happiness, but it's caused by something external happening outside of me. Or when I watch a funny movie, that can make me laugh, and therefore there's a moment of happiness as I laugh at the funny movie. Or maybe I do something well in my job and my boss praises me, and that praise is an external factor that makes me fleetingly and quite superficially happy. And so when we hear the word happy, that's what we often think of. A fleeting, superficial happiness. Now, that's not what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus is talking about is a deep, lasting happiness. And that's why some preachers um, refer to speak of joy rather than happiness. They, they prefer the term joy because they think that uh, that joy speaks of the deep and lasting happiness that Christian happiness really is. So I'm not talking about fleeting and superficial happiness, and Jesus isn't talking about fleeting, superficial happiness. Jesus is speaking of a deep, lasting happiness. Now, when I say deep, I don't mean buried. You know, some people, in fact, some Christians are always miserable. They always look miserable and they always express themselves in a miserable way. And they say, they might say, I've got deep joy, but it's so deep you don't see it on the surface. I would call that buried joy. Not, I'd call that buried happiness, not deep happiness. In fact, I question whether that's happiness at all. If you read the Bible, the Bible is full of people expressing happiness. Christians and followers of God sing, they shout, they clap, they dance, they praise. The Bible calls us to express our happiness in God often and always. 
You know, think of a tree with deep roots. A tree with deep roots has lots going on under the ground that you can't see. Its roots are very deep. And yet those deep roots enable the tree to grow tall and to flourish and thrive above the surface. And in the same way, a Christian with deep-rooted happiness will also often display happiness outwardly on the surface. It's worth asking yourself, if you're a Christian this morning, do you sing and shout and clap and dance and praise in joy? Because that's what the Bible calls us to. But I'm also not talking about someone who's inappropriately chipper and smiley all of the time. If you look at verse 4, it does say blessed or happy are those who mourn. So it's possible, in fact I would argue it's right for Christians to know and express sorrow while also knowing deep happiness. Next week I'm going to talk more about how I think that's possible, how someone can mourn and cry and weep and know sorrow but also know happiness at the same time. It's an amazing thing. But I, th I think this is the kind of happiness that Christ is calling us to, a deep, lasting happiness that enables us to mourn and cry and weep and still be happy at the same time. I'll, as I say, I'll talk more in detail about that next week. And so we're called by Christ here to a deep happiness, not drawn from external circumstances, not based on how life is going, because that's not deep, lasting happiness. If, if your happiness is dependent on how your life is going, then when life turns bad, you will be very unhappy. You know, we're in a season right now where many of us are locked up. Some of us are shielding and not really going outside at all. Some of us are going outside very briefly. Some people, some people are going out more, but they're still not able to see their friends and family and hug the people that they love who don't live in their home. And so life for many people right now isn't going that well. Some people have lost jobs. Other people are on furlough. There's all kinds of challenges right now. And so if your happiness is dependent on how your life is going, you're going to have days of happiness and you're going to have days of mega unhappiness. But Christ is calling us in this passage to have happiness that is deep and lasting and that goes through life circumstances so that even when life is difficult, you can still be happy. No, the deep happiness spoken about Jesus here is a happiness given by God, rooted in the great, eternal, unchanging truths of Christian faith that transform us on the inside in our hearts. I love this. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, calls us to happiness. And what God does is he gives us in Scripture great truths which transform our hearts and great promises that speak to our hearts. And, those, and from those truths, we can draw true, lasting happiness. Let me give you an example. One of the things that God has said to me is Jesus is my saviour. And if you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you can say this too. God has said this to you. Jesus is your saviour. Jesus is my saviour. He rescued me from sin and death. He died on the cross for my sins. 
and, uh, and so I was forgiven of my sin. And then he rose from the grave in the resurrection and defeated death. So Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has rescued me from my sin and from death. That is a great truth that will never change. Jesus is my saviour today. He will be my saviour tomorrow and he will be my saviour for eternity. That's this great eternal truth, this great gift of God that God has given to me. And that changes how I think about myself. If Jesus is my saviour and he rescued me on the cross, then it's true that Jesus thought I was worth dying for. Whoa! That's just mind-blowing. Jesus thought I was worth dying for. And if you're a Christian, Jesus thought you were worth dying for. And so that this great eternal truth that's been declared starts to change the way I think about myself in my heart. And so as I think about that, as I meditate on that, even now as I'm preaching that, this happiness is welling up inside of me. I'm, I'm just bursting. Jesus is my saviour. He thought I was worth dying for. Whatever happens for the rest of today, even if the worst might happen, I can still have this amazing truth that Jesus is my saviour. That is a joyful thing. That's a happy thing. That's a wonderful thing. And that's a deep happiness. That's a lasting happiness. It's based on an internal truth. It's not going to change tomorrow. And so this is happiness that will always be true for me and will be happiness that I can always draw on. And it's happiness that's deep because it's changing and shaping my heart. This is what Jesus means when he says blessed, when he says blissfully happy. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about Christians who are drawing their happiness from the great eternal truths spoken about in the Bible. And so when, when we say happy, one of the weaknesses of that translation is that you might think of fleeting superficial happiness. Well, that is not what Jesus is speaking about. The second weakness of happy as a translation is in comparison to blessed. Blessed very clearly in, implies that you're being blessed by God. Whereas the word happy doesn't quite capture that idea that this happiness, this blessedness is a gift from God. And so if, it, if, the word, if the verse just said happy are the poor in spirit, you wouldn't necessarily know that that happiness had come from God. But I want, I want you to know that when Jesus uses the word makarios, he's talking about this deep lasting happiness, not fleeting superficial happiness. And he's talking about happiness that comes from God. It is a blessing in that sense. It is truly blessed in that it's something that a gift from God, the happiness from God. And so... Um, if I or a number of the commentators I've read were to write kind of a more thorough translation of these verses, I think it would say, truly happy in God are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Truly happy in God. This is what Christ is preaching about in the Sermon on the Mount, being truly happy in God. I don't know about you. But that makes these verses mega exciting, mega important. All of us want to be happy. And Jesus is speaking about a deep, lasting happiness. How? You know, who wouldn't want that? All of you watching, whether you're a Christian or not, I hope you're now leaning in saying, I want this deep, lasting, not superficial, not shallow, not, not brief, but this lasting happiness from God. I want it in my life. And what Jesus is saying is, the kingdom of heaven brings this wonderful happiness 
into the lives of those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. If you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've said Jesus is my king, you are a citizen of heaven and this happiness should be taking its effect in your life. Now, I want to start to unpack um, some of the real blessings of the happiness spoken about in, this ver in these verses. And if you look at the second half of each beatitude, that gives you a reason to be happy. It gives you a source of Christian happiness. So take verse 4, for example. Verse 4 says, um, happy or blissfully happy or happy in God are those who mourn for because they shall be comforted. So one reason we can be happy, according to verse 4, is because we're going to be comforted. The God of the Bible is described in 2 Corinthians as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And in the eternal kingdom of heaven, we will have a perfect relationship, a face-to-face -face relationship with the God of the Bible, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, and he will wipe away every tear. He will heal every illness. He will remove all your pains and all your sorrows, all your emotional pains and all your physical pains will be taken away by the God of all comfort in the eternal kingdom of heaven. So whatever makes you mourn here on earth, know this, in heaven, God will bring perfect comfort to you. In, in verse 5, the meek Christians are happy because they will inherit the earth. You know, right, right now, in many ways, the rich and powerful men of this world own and monopolize many of the beautiful parts of this earth. But in heaven, it's the meek who will receive the earth and they will share it as their inheritance. And so the beautiful, wonderful creation, the earth in which we exist, which is truly wonderful, I hope you know that, is beautiful, will be owned by all. We'll all get to enjoy every part of the earth. We will inherit the earth in its perfection in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 6, we're told the kingdom of heaven will bring satisfaction. We can be happy because we will receive satisfaction. I don't know about you, but I think every human here on earth at some point or other feels dissatisfied. I wonder whether you've ever felt dissatisfied at your own inadequacies. Well, if you've ever felt like that, in heaven, that feeling will be completely removed. Anyone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be satisfied in heaven. In verse 7, we're told that in heaven we will receive mercy. In the kingdom of heaven, we will receive mercy. Do you have guilt? Heaven promises forgiveness. Have you done wrong? Heaven promises to put all wrongs to right. In verse 8, we're told we will see God. I love this one. The pure in heart will see God. I love this beatitude. You know, think about the most beautiful thing you've ever seen on earth. Now multiply it a million times. And you might come close to the feeling of awe and wonder of the moment where we will see the God of the universe face to face. That's a moment promised to Christians. 
Isn't that amazing? We'll see God face to face and it will be more beautiful and amazing than any moment we've ever experienced here on this earth. Verse 9 says it will be called sons of God. It speaks of adoption into God's family. You know, if Father's Day is hard for you, draw happiness from this amazing beatitude that one day you will be called a son of God. In heaven, you will have a full understanding of God, a full understanding and full experience of God as your father. And you'll be part of this family of God with your brothers and sisters in heaven, adopted into this glorious family of the heavenly father, the one who created the universe. Doesn't it sound amazing? Heaven sounds amazing in this verse, in these verses. Comfort, the whole earth, satisfaction, mercy, seeing God, being called sons of God. Let me use an analogy for a moment. Let's think about life as if it were a prison. If you're not a Christian, you're on a life sentence. This this prison, this life, this earth, this prison cell is all you have and all you will ever know. You will never be released from it. You will never know anything different from what you're experiencing right now in your life. But Christians here in this life, in this, in this analogy of a prison, are on a six-month term. And so after six months, they will be released and they will enter into freedom. And, and the Christian in, in this prison, in this metaphorical prison, can draw happiness from their future release. When things get really, really tough, when, when life in prison is really, really grim, someone who knows that they're going to be released can still draw happiness from what's coming in the future. They can mourn, they can cry and say, I'm really struggling in this moment, but I know in six months time, I'm going to get out and I'm going to see my wife. I'm going to see my family. I'm going to live in that house again. My mum's going to be able to cook me some food. I'm going to be able to go outside and, and do all the things that I love to do. You see, the, 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 prisoner on a lifetime sentence has none of that hope and none of that joy but the one on a six-month term can look forward to their release and draw happiness from the future to come it's the same with christians when we mourn when we struggle here on this earth we can draw joy from the future kingdom of heaven which we will enter into when we see injustice in the world and we know it's not right and we hate it but we feel like maybe there's nothing we can do or we think that there are some things we can do but we need the help of everybody else to end these kinds of injustices in the world we can at very at the very least in our mourning in our sorrow draw happiness from the fact that jesus will come in the kingdom of heaven and bring true justice on the earth we can draw joy from the future when we sin and we get upset with ourselves for doing things wrong we can draw encouragement from the beatitudes that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied one day i will be fully righteous in heaven so i'm drawing joy from the future when we're persecuted when people laugh at us or tell us that we're idiots for being christians we can draw joy from the fact that we will inherit the kingdom of heaven and that we're we're seeking the truth we've heard the truth and we're living for an eternal joy that will last forever forever do you see just like the prisoner who will be released christians also can draw joy from the future into the present so we can feel happy now even when our present circumstances are difficult but that prison analogy is rubbish i hope there are some of you sat at home right now watching this getting a bit agitated angry going duncan that's not what the christian life is like christian life is not like being in a prison and all we're doing is waiting and hoping for what's going to come in the future 
No, Christianity isn't about just about dreaming and waiting for the kingdom of heaven to come. It's also about experiencing the joy of heaven now. Did you spot? In verses, verses 4 to 9, it's all future tense. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. It's all future tense. But verses 3 to 10, 3 and 10, sorry, are present tense. Verse 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is, present tense, the kingdom of heaven. And this is something we call the now, not yet, of the kingdom of heaven. We know there's something yet to come that we're looking forward to. Jesus will come again and bring perfection and paradise here on the earth. Heaven will come to be on earth. The kingdom of heaven will fully, completely be on earth. So we know there's something yet to come, but we also have the kingdom of heaven now and we start to experience the joy of heaven now in our Christian lives. If you're a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your king, if you're following Jesus Christ, you can know glimpses and the beauty and an experience of heaven now here on the earth. We know in the future, in the kingdom of heaven, we'll be fully comforted by God and we'll not cry over anything because there'll be no more tears. But here now, when we cry, God gives us the Holy Spirit and he comforts us and speaks words of comfort to us. And so we know in part the comfort of God here and now. We know in the future the meek will inherit the whole earth, but Christians now can enjoy the earth that God has created. And, and I have found in becoming a Christian that I see greater beauty and find greater, be beauty, uh, uh, greater joy in creation because I also praise God for his part in making it. We know in the future we'll be made perfectly righteous, we'll be satisfied in righteousness. But now we grow in righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to increase in righteousness day by day. We know that we will find mercy in the kingdom of heaven, be completely forgiven. But we also now know that God has shown us mercy here now on the earth. I can say I'm forgiven in Christ. I stand blameless before God now. We know that we will see God face to face in heaven. Well, now we see God in a spiritual sense. We know him personally. He does speak to us. We do speak to him. We, we see him in our lives. And so we're partially seeing him, knowing that in the not yet of the kingdom, we will fully see him. We know that we'll be a loving, perfect family in heaven and sons of God. But we also know that we're sons of God now and the church is, is that family kind of living life on earth. And we experience some of the not yet of the kingdom in the now of the kingdom. Do you see? There's a not yet of the kingdom. There's something greater to come. But now we start to experience some of the things that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And we get to enjoy them now. So it's not like being in a prison cell. Or, or if it is like that analogy of being in a prison cell, it's as if every so often all our friends would just come and hang out in the prison cell and then for one day we'd just be let out and go about and do all we want and get to eat great food and, and be with the people that we love you see it'd be it'd be like a prisoner experiencing all the joys of freedom even in their prison cell this is the now not yet of the kingdom we look forward to something great to come but we experience something wonderful even now as christians so next week i'm going to look at what type of people inherit the kingdom I'm going to look at what does it mean to be poor in spirit and what does it mean that we can mourn and be happy at the same time. But this week, 
I want to bring challenges to two groups of people as I draw to a close. I want to challenge you if you're a Christian. I want to encourage you and excite you if you're a Christian. You have been saved into the blessed kingdom of happiness. And so firstly, if you're a Christian, I want you to pray now, Lord, give me the happiness that Jesus preaches about in the Sermon on the Mount. I want this blissful happiness. Give it to me now. But secondly, I would encourage you to actively dig trenches of joy in your heart by meditating on the great truths of the kingdom of heaven described in these verses. When you mourn, when you're tearful, think about God's comfort and let that give you joy. When you sin, think about the righteousness of Christ that has been given to you and think about the righteousness that you're being changed into by the power of the Spirit day by day and let that give you joy. When, when you see a lack of peace on the earth and a lack of injustice, remind yourself that you are called sons of God and in heaven there will be a perfect family where there will be no lack of love but just complete love between all the brothers and sisters in God. Remind yourself, meditate on these great eternal truths of God and draw happiness from them. Dig trenches of joy in your heart. Practice drawing happiness from the great eternal words of God in Scripture. And I hope and pray you will do that today, this week and for the rest of your lives. And that will increase your happiness. You will truly know the blessedness that Jesus speaks of in the Sermon on the Mount as you draw happiness from the great eternal words of the Bible. That's what it is to be a Christian, to know the promises of God and draw happiness from them. If you are a non-Christian, I have a challenge for you as well. I do not mean this morning to imply that you are an unhappy person. Relative to your friends or family, you might well be a very happy person. But I tell you the truth, there is greater, deeper, more lasting happiness that is only available to you in Jesus Christ, in the kingdom of heaven. And so I would urge you to repent of your sin, to turn away from your current life, and instead recognize Jesus as king. Say it out loud now if it's helpful to you. Believe that Jesus is your king. Become a citizen of heaven, and you will know blissful happiness, greater happiness than you have known before. I do not mean that your life will suddenly become easy. There'll be moments of mourning. And the Christian life is not easy. We're living in an in a increasingly secular world. So being a Christian in this world is not easy, but it is happy. There are moments of mourning, and yet there's this deep, lasting happiness in our souls as Christians. And I would love you to know that if you're a non-Christian this morning. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for this Sermon on the Mount. And Lord, I've only scratched the surface of the beauty of this sermon and these opening few verses. And I look forward to next week and unpacking some of the details in greater fullness. But Lord, I thank you that you begin this sermon by speaking of blissful happiness, by speaking of happiness in God that those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven can know. I thank you that elsewhere in the Bible it describes you as the blessed God, the happy God. And I thank you that we have been saved into a kingdom of happiness. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray you pour out happiness into all our souls today. 
I pray it wouldn't be a superficial, fleeting happiness, but I pray it'd be a deep, lasting happiness that is rooted in the eternal truths of the Bible. And Lord, I pray you would teach us to draw on those truths, to draw on your promises, to draw on the future promise, not yet kingdom of heaven to come, and also to experience the kingdom of heaven that we can have now. And Lord, I pray we would draw on those things and we would become happier people, more Christ-like people in our joy. Lord, I, I would love it if people would look at Christchurch Fair and, and say, that's the happy church. Those people are full of happiness. They're not, it's not superficial happiness and they, they mourn and they're sad at the injustice in the world, but they're also deeply and wonderfully happy. That's what you speak of here in the Sermon on the Mount, Lord God. And I pray you would grant us that joy and that happiness in our hearts. I pray for any non-Christians watching, those who have not yet trusted in Christ. Lord, would you save them? Would you make them a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Would you reveal to them that you are king? And would you reveal joy and happiness in their heart today? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.